0: Support for Talk the Towns comes from Table, a farmhouse bistro serving dinners Tuesday through Saturday starting at 5 p.m. Located at 66 Main Street in Blue Hill. More information at farmkitchentable.com. Support for Talk the Towns also comes from Fields Pond Audubon Center, a green design nature center in Holden with walking trails and nature store, pond access, and educational programs about habitat conservation for people of all ages. More information at mainaudubon.org or 989-2591.
1: It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online around the world at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next.
2: Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine. and Like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, some would call it rugged interdependence. Seven towns that share the shores of Frenchman's Bay have voted to join a regional shellfish conservation district with common ordinances and common enforcement. And on our program this morning, we'll talk with some of the organizers of this new district about what they've accomplished and the lessons they've learned from uh, about working together for sustainable harvests and sustainable incomes and in the studio with us we have some guests who are going to help us with that topic uh first joe parada joe is uh, chair of the frenchman's bay shellfish conservation district and no stranger to weru i think you've um, done a few shows on weru
3: i've been here before that's yeah.
2: right well so welcome to you welcome back to you um, we also have paul davis paul is a uh, digger um harvester um i guess from Lemoyne. Um, welcome to you paul thank you and Janet, is it Toth or Toth?
1: Toth, please. Toth, yes. Janet
2: Toth, um, who is the economic developer um, for, for the city of Ellsworth. Welcome to you, Janet. Good morning. Um, maybe we could get started asking each of you to give... A little bit of background on yourselves, um, starting with you, Joe. How did you get interested in, in things marine? I understand you not only are you a clammer, but you're also an aquaculturist as well.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I guess it probably really started when I was a little kid, kid, catching minnows and crayfish in the creek and selling them to the local bait store. <laughs> That's great. So <laughs> That's always an economic interest. Well, it wasn't really, it was more fun, uh-huh. you know, but uh-huh. it was kind of neat to... Go pick a couple gallons of night crawlers and take them in and get a dollar a quart for them something right. like that but that was a long time ago uh-huh. but um I, I moved to maine probably 27 years ago and i um, thought i'd end up getting a real job and um and i do have a real job uh, on the tide now and yeah i met a i met a, a fellow named oscar faukingham and he thanks he showed me uh a lot and uh and i've been digging pretty much since then uh, and i got and i thought um, i started digging some hard shell clams and thought that would be a uh, a good thing to aquaculture because the resources around here isn't isn't large and, and couldn't and couldn't really be developed on a, on a large scale so i started uh, work, working on an aquaculture project with that and that seems like it works and uh, the the biggest issue seems to be green crab control mm. so and so uh,
2: we'll come back to some of those issues at some point yeah, yeah. Paul, how did
4: you get started um, with all of this well, I've always dabbled in clamming, and I've also worked at most of the welding shops in the area. And last couple of years, the economy has really dropped incredibly. And uh, the clamming market has kind of stayed positive. So I kind of just lean more towards towards doing that in the summer.
2: Mm. And that really represents um, kind of one of the traditions on the coast of Maine, that um, clams have always been there as kind of a backup resource for so many people.
4: Absolutely. My whole family have, has done it through the years and pretty much everybody I know at one point or another has, has harvested clams. Mm.
2: Janet, how do you come to this work? What's your, what's your background and how did you end up in the city of Ellsworth?
1: Well, it was quite interesting. Um, I wound up in the city of Ellsworth because um, for nine years I was an economic development uh, business development specialist for Eastern Maine Development Corporation and the uh, Department of Economic and Community Development covering Hancock and Washington counties. Um, but I wanted to come to some place that I could really see what was going on uh, firsthand and the municipality has allowed that. It's been wonderful to work with, with Ellsworth. Um, This project came along, and I have a little history with growing clams in our Jonesboro River because we weren't sure why they weren't growing. So we did the first clam aquaculture incubator uh, 20-some-odd years ago. I don't want to date myself, but that many years ago. So I got interested in how they grew in the conservation and knew that other towns did ordinances as well and the reasons. So when this group of shellfish harvesters came forward and, and were asking these seven towns to come forward, it was an amazing project for me to be part of, so very pleased.
2: Great. Well, let's learn a little bit about clams first, um, uh, Joe. What can you tell us about clams and kind of a, a life cycle to, to yeah. help our listeners understand that um, the, the, the cycle of things? All
3: uh, right, we're talking about soft-shell clams, which are, uh, I guess, uh, I guess they uh, they would be called maya arenaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so everybody knows what we're talking about. if Brian Beals listening out there. <laughs> But, um, so they're they're mainly an intertidal species. Um, they grow between high tide and extreme low water. Some live below extreme low water, but not many. Mm-hmm. Um, males, there's male and female clams. I don't really know how to tell by looking, but there are male and female clams. And uh, when they spawn, which around here begins around now, the males put sperm into the water, which... Um, Causes uh, the females to react and they put, the, they put eggs into the water and they mix in the water column and, and you know, it's pretty haphazard, but apparently they seed pretty well mm-hmm. and uh, And I think it's four to six weeks. They swim around free in the tide um, as basically plankton and then they slowly grow a shell and a foot and they settle into the mud But first, before they settle, they actually have like a bissel, like a muscle, like little fibrous hairs, and they'll hold on to something on the bottom. And one of the things that helps them stay intertidal and probably survive is when the tide starts to fall, they'll fall from the water column and hold on with that little beardy muscle, leaf, Mm -hmm. beardy bissel. Mm -hmm. And when the tide rises, they'll let go and drift further in. Mm. And they'll do that until they find a place to live um, that they like. And... uh, And then it takes legal clams in Maine are two inches long. Um, I'm not sure at what point they become spawning individuals, but I think it's a little before they reach two inches. And um, so for, for our commercial, for our purposes, commercial harvestable clams are two inches and above. It takes somewhere between two, probably as much as eight, even longer years for them to become a harvestable product, depending on food content level on the tide or well, level. Same kind of thing. If there's if there's no food content in a, in a deep deeper water, they'll grow slow too. And if there's crab predation, they'll grow really slow too. It's like someone like holds a hand over your mouth every time you try to eat, so mm-hmm. th- that's a crab going by. Mm-hmm. Or there's just no plankton to, to feed them. Mm-hmm. You said and,
2: that, that clams settle where they like to live. Any, any idea w- what clams
3: like? Um, they, they like a place they can dig in. Um, they they, they settle, settle better in areas where that aren't washed over quickly with heavy current. Uh, they, they just, they like certain kinds of substrate and where, where Paul and I mostly work, it's, it's in some kind of a, a mixture of mud um, but yeah, they they seem to they they like quite a bit of area, and I think it, it's probably related to to current and and feed as to where they settle the most. But mm-hmm. they'll live in anything from completely soft butter textured soft butter textured mud to hard packed gravel and clay.
2: Mm. And Paul, when you, when you go out clamming um, and you're taking a somebody who's never clammed before, um, what do you see first, and what do you point out to people?
4: Well, you basically look for holes, of course. And uh, I prefer soft mud. And I seem to do really good in the soft mud. So, basically, I just paddle around in a canoe and look for a nice, soft, pullable mud.
2: So, you use a different technique that many people might be familiar with. Um, many people would have a, a rake and, and, and uh, kind of they'd pull up the mud and look underneath the mud. But you use a different technique. Talk about that.
4: Right. I keep my rake with me. And I don't use it very often. um, But, uh,
2: so we, so you, you come up on a a group of holes. What, what, what kinds of things we, are you looking for to tell you that that might be a good place to to pull a clam?
4: Right. uh, The most holes you find, obviously, is better. Mm -hmm. And I go further out towards the channels. Uh And that's where I usually, and I I just wear a glove and put my finger down in a hole and pull Uh and uh, when it comes out, it's usually a good size clam.
2: And is there a particular reason that you adopted that particular style of harvesting?
4: Um, Yeah, it, it just seems like I can do better that way rather than digging. My body just seems to be tuned on it a little bit better, it uh-huh. seems.
2: Well, I always get a little discouraged when I go out and I'm, I'm putting a, a clam rake through a clam, and that kind of despoils it for me and anybody else who might want to eat it. So, you avoid that sort of idea, too.
4: Absolutely. There's very little breakage, and there's no holes, and you're basically just cradling it in your hand. Mm-hmm.
2: What would you add to that? Anything in terms of the the, the, the biology of, of, of clams? They're, they grow... Um, more than two inches, but when when they get two inches, they're harvestable.
3: True. Yeah. <laughs> um, I might add, there are a lot of actual diggers uh-huh. who use hoes. Um, some and some people much prefer to to dig with a hoe, and some people are very adept at it. And I'm not one of them, mm-hmm. except when they they're, they're they're pretty thick. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so, um, in terms of the markets that you find, um, each of you probably have um, particular markets. You don't have to d- d- give any proprietary information, but generally, how do you, how do you get rid of your product? When, you, when you've got a, a mass of clams, where do, you, where do you
4: sell to? Well, I, I find the person that can buy the mm-hmm. most from me because I bring up quite a few. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and of course, you look for the best price. And... Uh, that's basically what we look for.
2: Okay, and and you said that the market is held fairly steady. That means that people are buying clams.
4: Absolutely, in right. the summertime it it really booms mm-hmm. with the tourist season. Yeah,
2: and Joe, um, both in your aquaculture side and your kind of digging side, um, are th- are those different markets. How do you how do you find a market?
3: Well, a uh, lot just traditional market, like um, sell to larger wholesalers. There's several in the area, and. Uh, it, like he said, it's somebody who can buy a lot of clams, but mostly most consistently year-round and who, who pays at least a competitive price. And then there's some personal preferences involved with that. Mm-hmm. Um, for There's a lot of soft-shell buyers around here. There's only a couple of places that buy hard-shell clams, which are, you know, steamers. I mean, not steamers. Little Necks, Cherry Stones. Cohog is the actual.
2: Animal. And where where do the the folks that buy your clams, where do they sell to? Who's the ultimate customer, so, so to speak? Well, um,
3: um, any anything from... Uh, the supermarket down the street, um, to re- uh, restaurants. Um, a lot of my hard shell clams go as far as Portland and Southern Maine, and uh, and so the soft shell clams as well. But a lot of a lot of our soft shell clams, although I'm not sure so, so much with where we sell now, mostly. I think his mostly go to uh, supermarkets as, as whole clams, mm-hmm. but a lot of our clams go f- to shucking houses and are sold as fried clams in restaurants.
2: Mm-hmm. And what are you getting uh, for? Uh, uh, are you selling by bushel these days, and or by the pound? Per, by the pound. What are you getting per pound as a as a, a harvester?
4: Right now, it's a dollar twenty five a pound is what we're getting, but it continuously gr- gradually goes up as the and, summer. Yep. Yep. And it can go up to as much as two fifty a pound. Okay. Okay. And generally, we can usually get a hundred pounds a day and okay. more
2: great. great well let's talk a little bit about some of the threats <laughs> We've talked about the biology in, in addition to you guys as threats to a clam. I suppose that you have to consider that, but you've talked about green crabs. How do green crab crabs fit into this cycle
3: well i can't i can't want just single out green crabs, but mm-hmm. there there's two major predators at, after they they're they're sort of beyond uh, say two to four millimeters. There's a lot of stuff to eats to them before them. Okay. Yeah. Um, then um, the green crabs are, are a big issue, particularly when they set, as they're setting and maybe up to an inch long. They then they kind of go down deep enough where green crabs don't bother them as much. Um, then there's two other major predators. One is a milky ribbon worm. It actually acts. It it, it they'll come under the clam or go in through its neck, and they'll inject something into its body, and the body liquefies, and they sort of sip it out. Those are kind of nasty little buggers. And then there's moon snails as well. Moon snails will actually crawl down the clam's hole, and uh, and 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 just like basically, I don't. Th- they must like take the bodily fluids out as well. They don't mm-hmm. think they actually eat it. So by, vampires, by vampires. It's,
2: it's we're talking yeah, about
3: here. It, it's a it's a nasty world out there for the poor little <laughs> clams. You know, and the green crabs are you see them the most. They run around on top of the mud, and you actually see them crushing clams. Right. The other ones. Why is this clam dead and falling out of its shell like smelly soup? And it's probably Milky Ribbon Worm did that.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about um, how clams are managed um, because that's the other piece of the equation we Mm -hmm. want to talk about. But first, I'll remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We're talking about um, a, a, a nice... Example of several towns coming together to try to manage a shellfish um, uh, resource in around Frenchs Bay. And Joe Parada is with us. He's the chair of the conservation district that includes those seven towns. And um, also Paul Davis is with us, and uh, she's uh, Paul is a, a digger in Lemoyne, and Janet Toth is with the city of Ellsworth as an economic developer. Um, but she's taken a particular interest in in these towns coming together for lots of reasons, and we'll come to some of those. But let's talk about how clams are managed. They're a public resource. A little bit like white-tailed deer in some ways, mm-hmm. um, the state of Maine um, kind of manages clams. Take it from there, Joe. In terms of, of what the, what what's the relationship with what, what the state does and what towns do?
3: Well, the, the state really doesn't manage the resource. And um, what a long time ago, I believe, when Maine actually became a state, um, the rights were given to the towns to manage shellfish. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I don't know more particular information than that, but that that's the gist of it. And it also it's, it's, it kind of goes in line with the, the fish and fowl rule, um, which allows harvesting, fishing, hunting, and in the intertidal zone. So any, anyone in the state of Maine, as long as you get access to the shore, you can walk along, harvest, hunt, or fish along the intertidal zone, which is between high tide and low tide. uh, So somebody
2: from Millinocket could come down and they have a right to to do this uh, um, in most towns. They can do that without any kind of license.
3: Yes. Right. Yes. Um, right. As long as you can get to the shore, yeah. Yep. You can't trespass on. You, know, you don't go walking across somebody's right. dooryard to get there. But right. um, so the state of Maine does not manage clams per se. They do manage it as much as they. Have. There's a two-inch statewide law, minimum right. size law, uh, and so they they patrol that with by by the way by way of the state of Maine Marine Patrol, and they also they the Marine Patrol actually it also polices closed polluted closed areas there are areas where there's uh, a issues be they from overboard discharges or beavers and birds and those, those actually a lot of there are a lot of closed areas due to uh, wildlife.
2: So they they're, they're particularly concerned that no one gets sick
3: exactly so they yes. will close so are
2: areas where there is a danger of people getting sick we will come to red tide in a, in a few minutes but yeah. um basically the state can close an area based on mm. uh, testing uh, of the water
3: yeah okay and, and now and so since since the state ha- has well i'm not sure how this goes but since since the towns have have the legal right to manage resources that that seems to be the best way to go about it. Um, enhancing the resource and creating better opportunities and, and maybe even enhancing incomes for harvesters. Um, so uh, through through programs such as ours, we'll be able to c- close certain areas for say winter digging, w- maybe areas that have been hit really hard by harvesting over the p- past couple of years and we know that um, part of our conservation program will and, and many people's conservation programs up and down the state. There's over 70 ordinance towns with ordinances in the state of maine that's almost all of them mm. they'll they'll they can close areas uh, for periods of time until the clams go back um, we can also we will be surveying flats for numbers of clams per square yard for instance um, growth potential grow, you can look at the rings on a clam just like rings on a tree and tell how many years it is old so we'll know how productive the flat is um, and then we can we can go around and find clams that are de- densely populated, say at 100 per square foot, where we know they're not going to grow, and we can move them out to the soft mud, like Paul's talking about, and they'll 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 go for maybe an inch, where they might stay for till their whole life cycle, and put them out in the mud where there's good feed content, and they might grow to be three inches in a year and a half from that. So it's like
2: thinning the garden, basically. <laughs> yep, you're moving yep. things to an area where yeah. they're going to grow uh, yeah. better. So the state has given the towns the ability to manage. Some towns have not decided to do that. They don't have an ordinance. Yep. Um, because having an ordinance requires enforcement. So isn't that the that's the basic part of that? That's right. So um, what's enforcement look like um, for towns that do have ordinances?
3: Uh, they have a... Uh, there, there's lots of options. Um, many have part time, up to full time wardens. We, our area is going to have a full time warden. Um, he'll, he'll be forty hours a week, and he'll be. We are going to be helping as well. All of the diggers will be helping with cell phones and, and I'm telling, you know, taking the warden around, showing them places to look, look for issues.
2: So basically the the town um then um, manages the people who are are digging clams. Um yes. they issue a license yeah. um and that could be a recreational license or a, or a commercial license. Yes. Yeah. And um then they can restrict who who digs there. Let's talk about red tide and the situation you found yourself in last summer or um, the last couple of summers in terms of of what impact that meant for local diggers.
4: Uh um, last year we had uh southern Maine had a red tide and Them fellas really didn't have any place to go. And uh, we found that they, there was 100 to 150 diggers that we didn't know or from away hitting our flats. And all of, most of them clams went out of the region. Mm. So, we're trying to just...
2: So, they could do that because you didn't have an ordinance that prohibited uh, people from coming um, elsewhere in the state.
4: Right. And then, when they would get done with our flats and their place would open up, they'd head back Home, and we wouldn't be able to go there. We were left with what was ever left. Mm-hmm.
2: So red tide, um, Joe, more of the biological um, kind of question. Um, what's red tide, and why is it important to clams or well, people?
3: <laughs> it's it's a it's a neurotoxin. It, it's a you may have to tell me a little bit. It's a dinoflagellate, I believe. Yep. And um, it's actually it's in the water. When it becomes an issue is when it dies and sinks to the bottom and is ingested by any kind of shellfish bivalve bivalves are usually the ones or things that eat them um because the red tide it doesn't hurt them it's a it's a if i didn't say so it's a neural toxin which can can kill you and or at least make you very sick so it's it's not a not a good thing to be to be uh, ingesting. So the
2: state monitors for that. Sometimes they get volunteers to to help them with early warning kinds of things. They have buoys as well that collect So once they know that red tide is there they'll close whole sections of the coast because they don't want anybody getting sick from from those neurotoxins. And one thing I
3: would add to that is that they they are very very careful about that and and there's a really good sized buffer zone around areas where there is red tide just to be sure that okay there's red tide say off of off of Deer Isle Deer Isle is usually pretty clean, but they'll, they might close, uh, you know, within a mile of, of Deer Isle, but the Red Tide is maybe five miles out, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. and just just to be sure that, that nothing that nothing gets in the food system. Right.
2: So you were facing, uh, Paul, the situation where the Red Tide was was declared a, a problem in else, elsewhere in the state, but you traditionally don't get, it kind of, describe French's Bay. We haven't talked about French's Bay. Somebody give a, a little description of, of where that
4: is. Well, the... The Gulf Stream seems to flow uh, around it, it. It basically keeps the red tide from coming in. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so that fast-moving current outside prevents it, it from getting into Frenchman's Bay and, and other deep bays. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, you found yourself in a situation where um, other diggers were coming in. Um, you didn't have a local ordinance that p- could prevent that sort of thing. So, when, d- when did you guys start talking about what, what could you do differently? That Was that last summer?
4: That was at the end of the season, uh-huh. last summer. Uh, and we spent the, all the fall and all through the winter. And we're just getting now to where we might have something that's going to be a working Document.
2: So, you started as groups of, of diggers, basically, people who are harvesting. That's that, yes. That's where those conversations
1: started.
4: Yes. Janet?
1: I think what amazed me with this is that these, these this industry, these shellfish harvesters, came forward to their own individual towns to see um, what could be done. And some towns had tried an ordinance in the past, but it was too um, cumbersome uh, financially for them to keep on, the wardens and things like that, and keep up with it. So um, they came forward to each and every of their towns, and they would be diggers from another town going to the other, the next town's meeting to meet with them to show the interest that this industry had in, in conservation and in keeping those those dollars locally and bringing in other dollars. So that's what I thought was amazing to this whole process.
2: Mm. And uh, Ellsworth is the largest, largest um community, but uh, tell me the names of the
4: other towns that um, are involved. You've got Lemoyne, Lemoyne, Franklin, Trenton, Hancock, Sorrento, and Sullivan, and of course Ellsworth. Great. It's like that a ca- seven
2: dwarfs. Seven, <laughs> seven <laughs> dwarfs, and they kind of uh, form a circle around the top part of French's Bay, yep. which um, comes in to the east of Mount Desert Island so um what was that like to get diggers together first and then go to go to towns joe what was that like for you
3: um i I think it it was amazingly easy to make this happen uh, because i think that everyone recognized that our flats were really being decimated um though a lot of of the harvesters have not really participated in the meetings they've they've showed support Mm -hmm. um a couple of years ago is really when we started talking about it but then we when we saw areas being completely harvested out and then harvested again, so that uh, anything grew was taken, we knew that you know, something had to something mm. had to happen. Mm. So, uh, and then you know, when we started going to the towns. We had, we had one meeting initially last July, and uh, quite a few people showed up. That was at the Hancock Town Office, and then we started we started immediately going to selectmen's meetings. Some harvesters showed up. We talked to many harvesters. and and then it just it just kind of rolled along from there. and it it went amazingly easy, as Janet said,
1: mm. what Janet? was what was really interesting, too, was to see the conversation between the harvesters and the select people of the municipalities because some of them didn't really understand the clam industry. And that, so there was an educational piece that has come along with this. That I think will will really help this industry moving forward with the conservation efforts that the the townspeople really didn't understand unless you were a digger or really part of that, you didn't have a handle on the amount of monies that were coming out of that industry, what it took to go down and 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 be a part of it and and you know even when the tides were coming and going. A lot of municipalities didn't really get that until this educational piece came about.
2: Well, we've, we've kind of um, gr- grown up away from our natural resources. Mm-hmm. Many people have. And so they don't understand these cycles and they don't understand the economy that's, that's, that's based on it. And as Paul was saying, um, this was a traditional kind of uh, safety valve for so many people when other things would, would um, go bust or they would use it in a seasonal basis. They would basically um, use different seasons to do different activities based in, in marine resources or natural resources and that's how the economy really was sustained. So uh, Janet, you said that it w- there was an education process. Do you remember any particular aha moments on the city council in Ellsworth when they said, this makes sense. this is part of our economy.
1: Um, the city council, they were very well, um, I think, educated in it. We, we put back up information and they are extremely good at reading and, and, and understanding things before they come to it. But what I, my aha moment was one of the meetings that we had with the interlocal committee. And one of the selectmen said, well, I didn't realize that about, um, from the other towns, I didn't realize that about clam digging. I didn't realize the amount. I didn't realize where it was and, and, and how to go about it. And the, and the effort that these folks put in each day just to go down and do that. So um, that was the aha moments. Mm-hmm. And, and for them to go back as these, as these each one, um, there's one person from each town that's part of the interlocal committee. And then they were to go back to their towns and talk about it. So they were trying to absorb as much about it to go back and talk to the other selectmen and then convince the towns to go along with, with this idea. So. Mm.
2: And it will come to maybe some of the, the details of the ordinance um, a little later on. But, um, Joe, what was it like to go town after town? Was there kind of a momentum that built up after one town? Who was the first town to, to support this? Remember?
3: I have to say, Han- Hancock was like, was because we were there first, but I don't remember who we actually, what was the first time we went to, other than it was just Hancock, wasn't it, Paul? I think it was, yeah. yeah. But everyone became very supportive very quickly. We, we we had a little bit of perceived resistance at first. I think it was more perceived than real. Uh-huh. Um, we, we thought Franklin would be a hard sell. Well, uh-huh. they weren't. Uh-huh. And um, and then Sorrento, we were like really skeptical about, and there wasn't even a word of discussion before they said before they voted it in uh-huh. and franklin voted 38 to 17 in favor and and it just went like that all the time
1: i think because it's a, a, an easy sell um when you're talking about um as a study has said by kevin atherin of the university of maine machias uh, a few years ago that over four hundred thousand um, dollars is is involved with this this um, industry in this region and that circulates within these communities, and these these communities got that at once they were told about it, and, and it was a realization. And and not only that, but it brings in monies um, from outside when those th- that product is sold, as, as Joe has mentioned. Um, it, it, but a lot of those monies stay within the communities, and it's like the smokestack that that you know you see in a lot of others. It's not the big mill, but you know when you're talking sixty five plus jobs that are resp- uh, dependent on this. Um, and, and the conservation part of it, the municipalities really, that, that was a selling point for most of them, is that it's a conservation effort for the area, for the, the environment, but also for those 65 plus jobs.
2: So you did that kind of um, research, or somebody did the research to kind of count the number of, of, of jobs that were
3: connected here. I think we should really thank Hannah Annis of the Department mm, of Resources for absolutely. that.
2: And Hannah wanted to be with us, but this is a marine. Uh, this is a state shutdown day, so she couldn't be with us either on the phone or here in the in purpose to talk a little bit about her role before we take a, a short um, break. Yeah,
3: well, H- Hannah is one of well, there are actually three people who work with town management programs in the state of Maine. Um, Dennis Knoll, he's the the head. Hannah is works with our region. She's worked like she's been at just about every meeting, That's and nice. she's spent many many hours. Mm-hmm. We've spent. I'm sure we spent many hundreds of hours collectively on this project. But <laughs> Hannah has been there for the whole whole thing. She she knows um, she knows a lot about the. She's been doing I think for, I, don't use, but, <laughs> I don't know how so many years, but let's let's say more than five years. I know, okay. but uh, she knows the state rules and 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 guidelines and municipal ordinances up and down the coast. And I guess she was probably the one who suggested that we take a look at the the, the regional ordinance. In the Saint George region, which Sherm Hoyt is instrumental in, and uh, he's from the Cooperative Extension down Waldo County, and he—I uh, believe—he's going to be on the line in a little while. Yep. And he—he he actually sits on the clam committee uh, in the Saint George region. And just for instance, their their resource has been notably growing steadily since they put the ordinance in place, something like thirteen to fifteen years ago. They've uh, their incomes have increased, the number of diggers has increased, and the, and the resource. Um, is is um, adequate to to the diggers and t- and to making people livings down there. Great, and not just as a fallback, but as a as a mainstay.
2: Right, and um, you've m- provided the the excellent segue. But I'll remind uh, listeners that they're tuned to WERU and Talk of the Towns this morning. Um, we're talking about uh, multi-town shellfish ordinances. Um, this particular case, we're talking about those towns around Frenchman Bay. Joe Parada is with us, and he's uh, the uh, chair of the. Frenchman Bay Shellfish Conservation District, Janet Toth of the City of Ellsworth, and Paul Davis, a digger and an active participant in, in bringing this process together from the town of Lemoyne. Um, a little later on, we'll invite your calls. But uh, first now all, uh, we're going to talk with Sherm Hoyt. Sherm is with us uh, by phone. Welcome to Talk of the Town, Sherm.
0: Hi, Ron. Glad to be here.
2: Um, tell us a little bit about your background. You work with both Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. Um, part of the university, um, kind of as an educator, and as a, as someone who gets out there and helps people think about things and, and get them done. Tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll talk about the Georges River um, region that you helped.
0: Um, yeah, my background, really, I was a classroom teacher teaching science to middle school kids uh, right out of college. Uh, then I moved to Maine in 1973 and um, got interested in uh, commercial fishing, um, got a job on a lobster boat. Eventually, got my own lobster boat. Uh, and two or three boats later, um, in the early nineteen nineties, I decided I wanted to go back working with people, uh, and I could see a real need for someone to bridge the gap between government and fishermen and scientists. Um, so, the Georgia River Project was really my career-changing project, uh, which I started in nineteen ninety-five. Um, we had to Um, A big industry, clam industry, in the St. George River and the uh, surrounding uh, estuaries, but we had lost that uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Pretty much everybody, uh, all the clamming was closed uh, due to uh, water pollution problems and uh, um, funding cutbacks at the Department of Marine Resources. That was uh, an earlier uh, budget crisis time in our state. So um, we had lost this industry, which had supported, oh, in the 70s, up to 300 people. were um, basically full-time clam diggers. Um, and so I started to look at what it would take to get it back. Um, I found a tremendous amount of support from the diggers. They, um, they really uh, wanted <laughs> to get that back and to be able to go back uh, making a living on the flats. Um And the towns were were receptive, although they individually did not want to do the the hard work of running a program, supervising a warden, uh, managing a budget. Um, But collectively, I went to each town. We have five towns in our program. And I went to each town, and they said, yeah, if we can get other towns to participate, we'll go along. And that was basically what got the program started, uh, and it uh, went into – actually went into effect in 96, with all the towns voting on the ordinances and the interlocal agreement. Um, The one thing we did do, which uh, hadn't been done before in Maine, was we used a formal interlocal agreement to describe how the towns would share responsibilities, and I think that has been a part of the the success of the program, it's helped hold the towns together and uh, for 14 years now, and I think that's something that the, that Joe and Janet uh, and Paul have done uh, in the Ellsworth Frenchman Bay area. They've they've adopted that in a local agreement, and I think they're uh, they're on their way to a successful program.
2: So, when the towns um, come up to uh, budget time and and so on, how do you let them know that this is still working, or how do the diggers in your area know that this is still working, still valuable?
0: Well, that's a good good question. Sometimes we're not that good at communicating. Um, the shellfish Committee uh, does try to get into the annual report uh, some sort of indication of, of how the year has been uh, in the annual report, but uh, sometimes we, we don't get in there. Um, and so um, that's really an ongoing challenge is, is uh, letting non-fishing public know how, how the program is working. Um, and we've had some rough years uh, with a lot of rainfall and red tide problems, over the last two or three years, we've we have had some tough times um, with incomes being down and uh, production down. But in the good years, uh, the program has been worth about four million dollars, three to four million dollars to the local communities.
2: So that speaks pretty loudly. Um, come town meeting time.
0: Yeah, I mean I think we still have a good track record, and uh, but it, but it takes somebody getting to town meeting or getting into the town report. Uh, writing up something, and sometimes uh, that seems to fall through the cracks. That's, that's something I would uh, uh, recommend to the Frenchman Bay folks, that they uh, do a good job of, of, continue to do a good job of outreach to the towns.
2: Any other um, suggestions? What uh, other problems have you faced, and how have you resolved those problems over the, the 16 years that the Georges River uh, clam um, operation has been working?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, when you're dealing with fisheries and, and uh, an industry that's really supported uh, mostly by Mother Nature, it's uh, there's always challenges. Some of the big ones have been um, uh, finding a town uh, to do the administrative work, uh, uh, supervising the warden, uh, and handling the license sales. That has rotated uh, from one town to the next. Uh, but we're we've recently. Uh, run into some problems because we have some very small towns with very minimal town government, and then we have some bigger towns that have substantial town uh, administration, and um, the little towns have a tough time running this program. So um, we're currently trying to find um, a way to uh, to share that load, and um, that that's been an issue. Um, the warden uh, supervision we've had the same warden for 14 years. And um, he's learned a lot. He's really improved on the job, and uh, so that's been a plus. Um, often, uh, finding somebody to stay with that job and and uh, improve on the job is is challenging for towns.
2: So finding someone that uh, both uh, is is knowledgeable but also has the trust of both townspeople and um, the, the the industry.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'll,
2: I'll just check in and see if there are, um, our guests here in the studio have any questions for you. Um, any questions or comments on what uh, Sherm is, is talking about here? Does it make sense? I guess Sherm has come up and, and kind of talked um, with with you about his efforts.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, I have to thank Sherm for the work they've all done down there. Not just Sherm, but everyone down there. I mean Our, our ordinance is, is substantially based on that region's ordinance. Um, we've made some additions. and and. Um, that, that we really like, and, and one, one of those is uh, is the fact that we're going to have, like have two drawings. One is going to be for people with, without flats, without, uh, like inland towns may be an easy way to say, and for, and for people who do not have municipal licenses, we're hoping that uh, those people who, who will um, be most affected by our, our ordinance, those without opportunity to flats, are, are going to be able to get a license before someone who already has an opportunity. That's one thing we've added there, Sherm. Um,
1: One other thing is that where Ellsworth is the administrative community, um, Sherm's been very good in connecting our city clerk to that and uh, theirs there so that we have an idea of what to expect mm-hmm. as the administrating community. So thank you, Sherm. Great. Well,
2: Sherm, thanks for being with us here on Talk of the Towns.
0: Yeah, and as we, uh, as I'm listening uh, to what's going on uh, in uh, the Frenchman's Bay, I think it might be fun to get uh, Georgia's River some of the towns and the diggers together with the uh, folks uh, in the Frenchman Bay program and uh, to compare notes, because uh, what's great about this is that it can be fine-tuned and and the whole program can be made to uh, fit the local communities.
3: Well, as an aside to that, Sherm, I'm told that the, uh, the Deer isle Stonington ordinance is being uh, is also taking things from from yours and our ordinance and incorporating them in, in theirs at this point.
0: Oh, that's great. Yep. Great. That's great. We'll and I know there's some interest in, uh, from DMR's point of view, from looking at uh, further east down to Cobb's Bay. Yep.
2: Great. Well, we, we learned from one another, and it sounds like you've uh, helped that process along, Sherm. Thanks for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. Yep. Thank you. That's Sherm Hoyt of University of Maine Sea Grant and Cooperative Extension down in the Georges River area. Um, you are tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about... Um, shellfish ordinances, mostly soft shell clam ordinances. Um, Joe Parada and uh, Paul Davis are here, as well as Janet Toth. Um, what's in your ordinance? What, what did you um, kind of? What are the aspects of the ordinance? that has to do with with uh, the licenses, has to do with conservation, has to do with surveying to make sure that there's a good resource there. And you just mentioned something about a, a draw for additional licenses. So just guide us through the the ordinance itself.
3: Uh, or these these ordinances all of, all over the state are are mainly for for the residents of those towns. Mm-hmm. The towns are man, those that have commercial ordinances are mandated to have um, 10% licenses go to non-residents. <clears throat> excuse me we we estimate that we have um, somewhere around 60 resident diggers we've decided to offer more licenses than our, would be mandated by the state we're, we're offering 10 to non-residents plus we're offering um, unlimited junior and senior non-resident licenses mm. so and we're I think we, that being said that and that is probably one of, one of the things that makes us the most one of the most liberal um, ordinances on on the coast and so what we'll be doing is um, you know we'll be managing the resource mostly for for uh, enhancement in the ecology of the resource and for the benefit and opportunity of, of the residents and trying to to keep as many other people in as we can. Obviously, we had to draw the line somewhere and so let me just take a look, quick look through the ordinance. Um,
2: and this is probably available um to any other towns that might be interested um, we could make that available um janet do you have that at your office as well
3: absolutely right yes, we'll have copies right.
1: there
3: so we'll we'll be uh, offering licenses beginning june 21st to residents on june 28th there'll be a drawing the Elsworth, the city of ellsworth is the administrative town i better make that clear that's where commercial licenses will be available applications for recreational and non-resident and resident commercial licenses will all be available at all the towns and uh, uh, many of the local clam wholesale buyers so the the drawing for the non residents okay the for the residents that's unlimited unlimited sales for residents those licenses are going to be $400 they everyone needs to fill out an application proof of residency various other things but it's a fairly it's a fairly detailed application um because sometimes people try to sneak through and do things they really shouldn't be doing uh, so anyway everybody has to fill out that application be they recreational or not uh, or commercial and then on the 28th well on the 28th the the non-resident drawing will be held in ellsworth the applications for that need to be in the ellsworth city hall by June twenty first by the end of the business day. If they are not, the application will not be accepted.
2: Mm-hmm. So basically, you're just trying to distribute these in a fair way, um, and then you're going to require some conservation efforts by um, the commercial diggers. Yeah,
3: yeah. When we've decided not to require it as a prerequisite to the license, we're going to sell the licenses. We, you know, if this doesn't work, we might change it. But what we're intending to do is sell the licenses, <coughs> and <coughs> over the and over the course of the following year. Everyone, everyone, residents and non-residents will need to complete 12 hours of conservation work. We'll probably begin with trash pickup. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, if those who complete their 12 hours of work will uh, be grandfathered into to the following year's license cycle, when they will not need to be in a drawing again. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Then, um, it, any anyone that that is convicted of breaking the ordinance will will lose their seniority they will not be allowed in the next drawing which will this includes um residents by the way they will not they, they won't be able to have a license the following year if they're convicted of of, uh, of you know, misusing the ordinance but but for those who uh, follow the rules They should be able to keep their license uh, for the rest of their life if they want it, and they pay for it, you know, and do their conservation work.
2: Well, let's hear a comment from another uh, town, the town of uh, Sullivan, and we're joined by phone now by Gary Edwards, who's a selectman in Sullivan. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Gary.
5: Glad I can join you.
2: Tell us a little bit about um, how you first heard about um, this effort um, uh, to pull seven towns together around French's Bay and what your reaction, what the town's reaction was.
5: Uh, Well... I had heard about some things before it was really official because before I retired, I was doing some work in the shellfish industry in a di- couple of different ways. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, once the group called that meeting in, in, in Franklin that Joe was mentioning, I attended that. Several municipal people who have a, an interest in the shellfish industry were there. Uh, saw the energy, saw the uh, commitment that the harvesters were willing to put into this, and went back to our selectmen of Sullivan. We discussed it and they appointed me to represent the community as the process unfolded. Uh,
2: And and do you remember any of the the questions that you got either from fellow uh, selectmen or from townspeople as that came up for a vote?
5: the The men were very much interested from the beginning. Sullivan had been in a situation a number of years ago where they didn't have an ordinance and uh, had a situation similar to the red tide thing only it had more to do with with a with a, a nice resource that was opened after being closed for pollution mm. and they so they put in an ordinance uh, and it's been mentioned a couple times very very difficult for a small town to manage and and keep one of these things going. So they, they ended up eventually letting it go.
2: Mm-hmm. So without that active ordinance and the ability to enforce it, the, the state said, sorry, you, you've kind of lost the ability to manage. We have to open this up to any digger.
5: Well, actually, the, the town made a conscious decision uh, to okay. let the ordinance go because okay. they couldn't keep it up.
2: OK, good. Uh,
5: so I selectmen understood the process, the, the two other fellows that were on the board with me. Uh, and, and we were very much willing. To, to participate in, and try to make this going.
2: That's great.
5: I have an, a, a, a long history in municipal government. I worked in municipal government for many years. So uh, I ended up kind of uh, taking a leadership role with the seven communities, because there's actually been two groups that have worked through this process. The Harvesters have done an unbelievable job Crafting the ordinance using uh, the the model ordinance for the state and the um, um, Georgia's River Groups ordinance, uh, and kind of separately but sometimes together, the seven communities uh, we took the the interlocal agreement and and crafted that to fit our needs here. So uh, over the last eight or nine months of the. If you if you'd have said we signed this thing the first of June or the end of May when we started last August, I'd have said nah, I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, the cooperation from all seven communities has been great.
2: Great, Gary. I'm going to let you know go because I think we've got some calls coming in. But uh, thanks for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. Okay. One eight six six. if you've got questions or comments as we talk about uh, shellfish ordinances um, we're talking about a specific one in the frenchman's bay area Um, and we have in the studio with us joe parada who's the chair of the uh conservation district um Janet Toth, who uh, is municipal um, economic development specialist with the city of Ellsworth, and Paul Davis, um, a harvester uh, from Le Moyne, and an active member of this process. If you've got questions, give us a call at one 625 9378 or locally 469-0500. So what's next? Um, you've, you've got all of the towns um, kind of participating. You've got kind of a process going for getting licenses out. Um, have you hired a warden yet?
3: Well, no, we do have, the uh, application process is, is begun, but it will actually not be advertised until the 18th, and I, and I can tell you a little bit about that position. It's going to be, uh, require uh, like a high school diploma equivalent, experience in law enforcement, a valid means driver's license, shellfish warden will be responsible for tro- patrolling the shellfish growing areas of the greater Frenchman's Bay region, and uh, there will be a really good salary package. I'm not sure if I can say what that is or not, but... So I won't. But um,
2: and this is going to be administered by the city of Ellsworth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and it's
3: going to be a real, a really good living wage and full benefits.
1: It'll be in the Ellsworth American next week. Yep. It beginning next Wednesday. The ad Wednesday. for the job. Yeah. Great. Yes. Great. And if Great.
3: you want to submit a resume, you can send that to the city of Ells Ellsworth, the attention of Harold Page, and that's at one City Hall Plaza, Ellsworth, Maine. And. Uh, You've asked, um, I think I lost part well, of your the, question. The,
2: um, what's next? First, oh. you've got to get an ordinance, uh, a warden, <coughs> rather, and then um, you're going to give licenses out. Um, what's this going to cost, Janet? What's the, what's the kind of administrative cost for, for doing this, and how do you assess the, 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 the fees or get participation by other towns to help with this?
1: It, we, we, we believe we have the cost under hand mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it, when each of the towns approved to be part of the ordinance, um, they also agreed a certain amount to be uh, part of that and mm-hmm. I believe it was like $3,000 yep. for yeah. each municipality. So with that we've built a budget um, and we are also looking at any other types of funding in this first year, the initial startup of getting the, the warden up and going, um, getting the conservation efforts taken care of, um, getting the asset the, the, the um, capital equipment and things like that. Each municipality has been amazing in that they have been um, bringing 40 um, uh, forward different pieces of equipment that they have in their um, local municipalities. Some have laptops. Some, have, some We're talking now about boats and things like that. But we're also looking at a potential grant opportunity with the state planning office. Uh, we've been in conversation with that and the Maine Community Foundation. Just as a startup situation, because it's related directly to conservation, it's a nice And piece. so
2: the towns um, are going to put in this initial chunk, but they expect to get license fees um, to kind of offset that. So that's that's how that works.
1: Absolutely. It should be uh, driven by its own revenue stream going forward. I'll just list our phone number one more <coughs> time. If
2: people um, wish to uh, participate in our conversation, share your experience or your questions, 1-866-625-9378. And, Joe, you've got a, a fundraiser coming up on Saturday night, I understand. Yeah, I guess
3: uh, I w- I'd like to continue a little bit beyond that with some like a sequence of n- what's next things. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first thing is going to be a, a clam dinner. A full menu clam dinner at the Union River Lobster Pot, and that's in Ellsworth, and that's going to be this. It's going to be tomorrow, at uh, between four and nine o'clock. It's going to be twenty-five bucks for all all people. All proceeds are going to support the clam ordinance committee, and which is basically to fund the warden and some of, some of the efforts that will be needed for um, working on the flats to cons- do conservation work. Um, that's, like I said, it's going to be tomorrow, Saturday, May 29th, between 4 and 9 p.m. No reservations necessary. It's, a, it's basically going to be all, all clams all the time and some uh, <laughs> and some things that go with that. Um, and then next week, we'll be putting flyers up for this. We're going to have, like, an all-clamers meeting open to all all diggers, resident, non-resident, recreational, and any interested parties. That's going to be I, – I, I'm sorry to say we don't have a, a venue for it yet, but it's going to be next – it's going to be June fourth, which I believe is Friday, and it'll be at five o'clock. We just need to decide where it's going to be. It'll probably be in one of the municipal offices, and I'll try to get information here to WERU, and and there'll be flyers up as well. And then after after the, this is an informational meeting to really go over the ordinance as much line by line as need be for anybody who really wants to understand. Um, it's not it's not going to be a, a place for changing the ordinance just to explain it, um, and we hope all the all diggers and all interested parties will show up to that. And then probably. Sometime, sometime, towards the end of June, we'll have w- another meeting to start discussing very seriously things like closures, conservation areas, um, where we're going to pick up trash from. Like I said, that'll probably be one of our first efforts, and uh, just just conservation efforts that we're really going to think about. I've asked, <clears throat> we've asked some of the diggers to think about where they think would be good places for closure and conservation work, and uh, we want people to bring that their their favorite places for for that kind of work to this to this lat to this the third event, which will be towards the end of June.
2: We have a call, and uh, probably only time for one call today, but we're glad that you called. Go ahead with your question or comment, please.
3: Geez, I'll try to make it good.
6: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is David here calling from Brooklyn. I, um, I don't
2: know. <laughs> we're having trouble hearing you, sir.
6: I don't know whether... Uh, I know we have a shellfish ordinance here, and we do have a shellfish warden. And I don't know much about it because I'm not a climber. Uh-huh. Uh, but I live close to, I uh, caretake places uh, on the verge of the of And I see the activity out there a lot. And I've heard at town meeting that climbing is a, a really good uh, asset in this town. And I, w- I came in a little late in the program, and I wonder whether... Since we have a clam ordinance, and we do have a clam ordinance, whether we are basically up to speed uh, as far as the conservation stuff that you're talking about, uh, or you know, how can I, uh, how can I find out more? I guess I need to begin by reading the ordinance. Um, uh,
2: well, let's see if we can get some comments from our guests and yeah. and uh, the ordinance is a good place to start but there are some other resources um, um throughout the state um, including uh, the department of marine resources we'll try to get some answers for you thank you very much for your call um scholars basically how, how do we find out more how does any town uh, resident find out more about what's happening in their town joe
3: well hey dave this is joe prada Hey, uh, one thing you could do is, anyone, is go down, uh, go, to, go to the, your, find out when your, select, your, when your clam committee meets and go there. I, I know Brooklyn has an excellent clamming resource. It's a very fertile place. Um, the, the, I'm not sure how many town licenses are offered, but those that have one uh, are certainly have an excellent opportunity to make a living there or add to a living they already have. And so I, I would just recommend anyone who wants to uh, participate or learn more, come, come to the meetings. Right. And uh, actually, our ordinance, it's not, its uh, you can look up our stuff. Uh, can you get them on the Alzheimer's site yet? Not yet, it will be. Okay, but at, right now at the LeMoyne Mo- Le website, the town of LeMoyne website, almost all this information is there. Some of it needs to be updated a little bit because we've made a couple of small changes on the ordinance. The application is a little different than the one they have. But... um, so you're certainly welcome to come to any any meetings we have and they'll be posted and we, we encourage you to come, especially mm-hmm. if you want to help us do conservation work.
2: Great. Well I'm gonna ask each of you the same question. Support, what lessons have you learned in this process? Uh, start with Paul. What have you learned about kind of getting together with other clamors and, and making this work?
4: Well, <clears throat> it's definitely a good thing and it should it should help help our future grow and basically it's just exciting. Yeah. To, to be a part of it
2: great well thanks for coming in and thanks for all your work on the flats and and uh, with this committee Janet, Janet Toth
1: uh, it's been very interesting to see how these seven municipalities come together and and work towards um, this type of a project conservation so it's been very refreshing to see that happen
2: great Joe what's, what's your hope and, and what have you learned
3: well I, I definitely have to uh, echo what Janet said I've I've learned to, that that clam diggers really can work together, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, just just to to see how much that people have put into put into the effort, and even those who haven't really come to meetings are very excited to to be helping with conservation work. Some think we some think we we don't have a, enough time scheduled, um, which is probably true. But we we have to manage 70 people on the flats. That'll be a job in itself. Right. And you know for this dinner. People donated five bushels of clams. We probably could have had 20, 25 bushels donated by clam diggers.
2: Great. Well, thanks for, to, for being with us and thanks for all your work to, to help bring this together. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Joe Parada, uh, uh, clam digger and, and aquaculturist and, and he's the chair of the French's Bay Shellfish Conservation District Janet Toth is with the city of Ellsworth uh, is an economic development specialist Paul Davis is a, is a clammer from Lemoyne, active in this process we also heard from Sherm Hoyt University of Maine Sea Grant and Gary Edwards Selectman of Sullivan thanks to all of you for being with us thanks to those of you who listened um, and the one person who called in we only had time for one today thanks to our underwriters we really appreciate their support thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program and stay tuned for on the wing with joel raymond this is ron beard your host for talk of the towns wishing you a good morning
0: Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities.